All right. It is uh, my pleasure to introduce our friend, Ian McCormick. Ian, would you come on up? Ian is, uh, if you don't know, put your hands together and give him a warm welcome, would you? But Ian has, uh, has been with us before last year, was here speaking last night, and uh, Ian has an amazing story of uh, actually being pronounced dead and waking up in the morgue. How about that for a story? Can you top that one, right? But Ian, God bless you, my brother. So good to have you here. You're on. You got one? Okay. Good morning. I'd like to um, open with John chapter 17 and verse 22. The glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that I have sent you and does love them even as, I, as you've loved me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the desire of God is that we might be one with him. And that one is such incredible unity, such amazing harmony. There is a oneness that goes deeper than knowledge. It's a love. <laughs> it's so powerful, so real. It surpasses knowledge in any form of understanding. The height, the depth, the breadth of that love. We pray, Father, that we would meet with you again in fresh revelation. In Jesus' name. Amen. The scriptures talk about that God wants to be one with us, and it's fascinating is that Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the whole mystery of oneness is right through the entire Bible. The Bible also talks about mysteries. One of the mysteries that we find in the New Testament is in Matthew. It talks about how God has unveiled the mysteries of the gospel to his believers. In Matthew 13, he said, I only spoke in parables to the people, and then I would come and unveil the mysteries. It was fascinating. He talked about how the sower went out and sowed the seed. In Luke chapter 8, it says that the seed is the word of God. Went out and sowed it. Some went by the road. Some of it went down by the, um, the, the thorns and stones. Some went onto good soil. It's fascinating, and the Lord then talks about how the seed that was sown, which is the word of God that was sown upon the side of the road, the birds took it, the devil took it. Now many of us have heard the word of God will not return unto us void, but the actual scripture doesn't say that. The word of God was sown by the Lord, where? On the side of the road, the ground was hard, and it was taken by the birds, by the devil. The word was then sown amongst thorns. Shall we just read what happens when it's sown amongst thorns? If you want to turn to Matthew, I'd like to just um, read it. Matthew chapter 13. And begins to say in um, verse 20, in, in ver let's, do, let's do 20 of them, amongst the rocky places. One whom the seed is sown amongst rocky places. This is the man who receives the word, immediately receives it with joy. Yet there are no, no firm root in himself and is only temporary. When affliction or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. So here we find the word of God sown amongst rocky ground or hard ground where there's stones. They get it with joy and say, oh, I want to follow Jesus. I want to know the word of God. When any kind of persecution comes, they fall away. The next one in verse 22, the one that was sown 
the seed amongst thorns. This is the man who hears the word and the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So here we see the plant grows but there's no fruit. So we see a person who receives the Lord, receives the word and trouble is there's no fruit in their life. The next one is when the, the seed is sown on the good ground and the man hears it, understands it, and bears fruit. Some of it is a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. So three quarters of the word that's sown is bearing nothing. A farmer does not sow seed just anywhere. The farmer must prepare the soil and prepare the ground. The Bible says we are God's field. One of the biggest things a farmer does is to remove the rocks, remove the thorns. He discus, he harrows it, he prepares it. So the, that our heart is the key that God wants to prepare our heart so that when the word of God comes in, it's not choked out. The worries and deceitfulness of riches do not stop it. The devil doesn't steal it. What is the condition of your heart? What can actually change the word of God from actually taking root? Do you realize there are mysteries? Many mysteries. God tries to unveil those mysteries. There's the mystery of Israel and the church. And Romans chapter 11 says, I don't want to be arrogant or conceited about this mystery, that the Gentiles are grafted in to Israel. We then go on to the wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians 2.7. The wisdom is a mystery. Many people have knowledge but do not have wisdom. How many know there's a difference? Knowledge puffs up, but the fear of the Lord brings wisdom. So there is a wisdom that is way past knowledge. Man ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but what we actually define wisdom is a totally different thing. God himself says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Then there is the, the, the mystery of the resurrection, <laughs> that we shall be changed. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. It's a mystery. Isn't that a mystery? That we shall resurrect. If there's no resurrection, our preaching is in vain. If Christ never died, our preaching is in vain. That's the mystery of the resurrection. Then Ephesians chapter 1, 9 says there's a mystery of his will, to know God's will. First, Colossians 1, verse 26 and 27 says there's the mystery of salvation. The mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Can you imagine the King of glory coming into you? That is a great mystery, Christ in us. When you give your heart to the Lord, the King of glory comes in. We have the mystery of godliness in 1 Timothy 3.16. The mystery where God manifests himself in the flesh. He then literally um, was seen by angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed in the world, and received up into glory. So this is the mystery of godliness. But there is another mystery, which is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. For this cause a man shall leave his mother and, and father and join to his wife, and the two shall become one. This mystery is a great mystery. How many figured out that marriage is a great mystery? <laughs> Now, there are mysteries, and there's mysteries, and there's mysteries. But there is a mystery called a great mystery. How many figured out that marriage is a great mystery? Two of you. Unless you're not sure about what I'm going to do. And this is the mystery of Christ and the church. If the mystery is great and God's going to unveil it to us, what's fascinating is we go back into the, into the book of Genesis, and God made man in our image, he said. Let us make man in our image. So three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
Out of three, God formed one. Adam. Is that true? Man. Out of one, he made two. (laughs) He formed two, didn't he? Then he said the two shall become one. (laughs) And then we're to be one with the three. Fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We then find that in the New Testament, the first miracle that Jesus does is where? At a wedding. We find at the end of the Bible, we have a marriage, don't we? Marriage, supper of the Lamb. So the mystery of the marriage is great. It starts in Genesis, goes through into the New Testament, and right through into the book of Revelation. How many know the enemy hates marriage? How many know there's a law just been passed yesterday? And it's on my knees the Lord said, speak on this. The mystery of the marriage. The mystery is great. When we go into the, into the Old Testament, we find a, a, a number of marriages have taken place. We find Moses is married, isn't he? Exodus 18. The Bible then says that Moses sent Zephora, his wife, away, and she returned to where? To Midian, to Jethro. The word sent away in the actual Hebrew, and I'm just going to find it so I can expound it without me getting it messed up. It says that that is an actual word to write a, 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 a divorce, to send the diary back, even the presence. It is a written divorce. Sent away is to literally write out a divorce and send the diary back and dismiss the marriage. I mean, you know, that's a very interesting concept. Moses divorcing his wife. If you're the father-in-law and had your daughter come back, what would you think about the son-in-law? Would you have an issue with him? So it says that Jethro came back and camped outside of Israel, Exodus 18. He then went across, and Moses, of course, had lived with him for 40 years. Very happy, they meet each other. Well, fabulous. Now Jethro says nothing and watched Moses spend the entire day show him around what he was doing. At the end of the day, Jethro said, what you're doing is wrong. What had Jethro discovered that Moses was doing? He was so busy ministering to people that he had lost his own marriage. Do you realize that God puts our relationship with him first, marriage second, family third, you understand? The body of Christ fourth and ministry fifth? Some of you are looking a little bit scared on that one. If the mystery of the marriage is the greatest mystery, how many know that God puts that up there with his heart? So what is God trying to do with Moses, who had got the Ten Commandments, seen the glory of God, had the Shekinah presence come upon him, had met him face to face, he has now seen his marriage disintegrate as he is trying to lead the children of Israel, and he's got his heart broken over this. He uses a midnight priest to come out and see why this man is in trouble. He knows he's a good man. He's going, what on earth happened for you to lose your marriage? He said, you are so busy counseling, meeting, praying with everyone else that you have no time left. He saw the problem. He said, you should appoint elders. You should delegate and only take on the main responsibility, didn't he? 
then Jethro goes back to Midian and we find that that marriage is restored because in the next chapter, Aaron and Miriam speak against the marriage. And what happens? Miriam has leprosy upon her. God is so into protecting the heart of the family and of the marriage that he actually puts leprosy upon Miriam and pleads with Moses. Aaron pleads for his his sister, please. He said, heal her. She says, she'll spend a week outside the camp and be healed. We have another marriage. Esther, remember the queen, the queen, Esther only came onto the scene because the queen herself, Vesti, would not honor her husband and would not come to the banquet. Remember that? And so God actually sees that marriage brought in and Esther turns up into that marriage. You understand there's a, God highly puts the marriage. It's, it's a revelation of his heart. We find Abraham, it says, when they became one, this is in, um, uh, let me just read this one, Isaiah 51 verse 2, God called Abraham and Sarah when they were one, and they became fruitful and multiplied. So the oneness within that marriage, when they, you imagine being married to a husband, when a king looks out the window and checks out this woman and says, I like her, and he says, who is she? Oh, she's my sister. And the king takes who? This dear woman to be his wife. And the, and the Lord wakes him up and it was like in a dream and said, you touch this woman, you're dead. He said, what? She's married. This king then turns around and comes back to Abraham and says, what on earth are you doing? Why didn't you tell me you're married to this dear woman? What kind of wife would tolerate a husband who did that? But Sarah, a great woman of faith, Remember that? God honored her in that. He protected her even though her husband was mucking up. Now Abraham, of course, goes looking for a wife for his son, didn't he? He sends a servant with jewels and goes off to find a wife for Isaac. And the, and, um, the woman comes back. Remember, Rebecca comes back and Isaac and Rebecca become husband and wife. Do you realize that God the Father is looking for a wife for his son? And Abraham, the father of faith, who has said he's a sojourner looking for a city made from by God, he left his family in Ur of Chaldean looking for what? A new place, a promised land. Here, this dear man is looking for a wife for his son. God has sent the Holy Spirit to earth to look for a wife for his son you understand when you start seeing the mystery of the marriage you start seeing the mystery of God's heart he's absolutely committed to marriage it is the greatest mystery you're going very quiet on me I don't know what's going on hopefully you're hearing something I'm saying (laughs) Well, I got married. How many figured that one out? I eventually got married. <laughs> How many have heard that opposites attract? <laughs> they do. How many know then when they attract, you try and change them to be just like you? <laughs> How many thought you had no problems until you got married? 
How many have said the stupid word, you're just like your mother? Within six months of being married and God supernaturally put our, um, our marriage together, I suddenly realized that all hell had broken loose. How many know your family does green, orange, red when they prime you up? How would you like to go, I see red, red buttons, red buttons, red buttons? So after the honeymoon, we started to hit each other's red buttons quite quickly. How many of them tried to change your hu- husband or wife? How many of them pointed out all the problems? <laughs> Having no, that is not a wise thing to do. So anyhow, I was thinking, God, what on earth is happening? I've heard the mystery of the two becoming one, the divine romance, how we're going to be brought together by the Holy Spirit, how we both love Jesus, and how this great mystery is coming together. And how the heck do you become one? Anyone figured it out? And I said to the Lord, we're both Christians, we both love you, what's going on? He said, you have a divided heart. I said, what? I said, I'm, I'm on fire for you. I'm committed to you. How can I possibly have a divided heart? So I said, well, God, show me my heart. So instantly I saw a vessel appear in front of me. As I saw it, it was like an earthenware vessel. You know how you have these wine casks that are made out of stoneware and they have cork taps? Instead of one cork tap, there were five. They were wide open, and fluid was pouring through them. As I looked at that, I said, what's that? He has said, that's your heart. He said, you're an earthenware vessel. My presence is coming into you, and it's flowing straight through you. I said, what do the taps represent? He said, things and people that you've given your heart to. I said, then what is the first one? He said, well, the world says if you love someone, you give them your heart he said when you got married you gave part of your heart to your wife how many have done that don't put all your eggs in one basket but anyhow so i gave part of my heart to my wife he said how's that been i said well in six months (laughs) i'm thinking of taking it back (laughs) he said what's happened to it i said well i've been i haven't been so hurt in all my life through this interaction called marriage I said, what has it been like for your wife? I said, well, she said, I've pretty well hurt her heart too. He said, what's it like when you've gone to see your mother-in-law? I said, well, I've lost my wife and she's become the daughter again. I feel like a stranger. He said, what have you tried to do? I said, I've tried to keep my wife further and further away from my mother-in-law. He said, how's that been going? (laughs) I said, you want all hell to break loose? That was about what was going on. I said to the Lord, what's the next one? He said, your mother. (laughs) He said, you love your mother because she prayed you into the kingdom. And your heart, even though you're living here in, in in, in North America with your wife, your heart is still back with your mother in New Zealand. Although you've left her physically, she still has part of your heart. How many know that to be true? And he said, your dear wife feels like she's competing with your mother. And what's your temptation? I said to go back to my family because they're normal. I said, what's the next one? He said, the church. He said, before you were saved, your heart was into sport and sex, drugs, rock and roll and the whole world. He said, since you've been a Christian, you've put your heart into the church. 
And so you are committed to the body of Christ and, and, and love the church. He said, how's that been? I said, that was good when I was just a member. But when I became a, a pastor, well, that was a different deal. <laughs> Sheep have teeth. It seems all the hurt and bitterness and, and pain that's in them seems to be like you're the, you're the battering ram for it. And then when they see that you're anointed, they want to suck you dry. And the more revelation you get, the more anointing and more power, they are then looking to you. He said, how's that happened? I said, at times I've had nothing in me, and they have demanded that they take from me. So they've actually smashed into my vessel. He said, can you see the cracks in your vessel? I said, yes. He said, where do you think they came from? I said, from the hands of Christians. He said, you were a lifeguard before you became a Christian. What happened when you used to come up to a drowning person? I said, the lifeguards were taught to literally knock them out and put them into a full Nelson. Before the Babe Watch red tube came. <laughs> we used to have a, a robe which was pulled out. Remember that? And that thing was so heavy that they drowned. Drowning person drowned so many lifeguards because they saw the person coming up, they were gasping for breath, they stood on top of the lifeguard to get their head above water for a split second, and then they drowned the lifeguard and drowned moments later. He said, does that happen in the church? I said, well, that's what most Christians are like. Many of them are drowning in the sea of sorrow and pain, and they see you as someone who's met with God, so they're literally trying to stand on top of you to breathe. I said, what's the next one? He said, well, it's the lost. He said, when you, you'd never heard the gospel preached to you, you'd been out into the world for many years. And he said, so your heart is to make sure the people who'd never come to church would hear the gospel, would hear the message of salvation, eternal life. God said, how's that been? I said, that's been amazing. That's been amazing. I said, what's the next one? He said, sport. He said, your golf, your tennis, your surfboard. You're hunting, you're fishing. He said, you have put your heart into that. He said, have you got a divided heart, Ian? <laughs> I said, well, if you put it that way, yes. He said, how much of your heart do you think I've got? When you take your wife, your mother, the church, the ministry, and your sport out of the picture. I said, well, about 10%. <laughs> He said, what is the greatest commandment? I said, well, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy spirit. He said, how much percentage do you think that is? I said, well, some would say 100%. <laughs> he said, so you, you are living off the trickle of my presence because most of it is going straight through you. He said, I never called you to be a funnel. I said, then how on earth can I possibly love someone if I haven't given them my heart? He said, let me show you. He said, if you take your heart back from your wife, your mother, the ministry, from the church, and from your worldly possessions and your escapism, who do you think will look after your heart? He said, where your treasure is is where your heart is. He said, how many hearts do you actually have? I said, well, last time I looked, one. <laughs> he said, how is it right now? I said, fairly broken, fairly troubled. I said, I found it a lot easier just me and Jesus. How did it get so complicated? 
simplicity of devotion to you, being married to you. He said, Ian, if you give your heart to me, what will I do? And I said, well, last time when I died and saw you, you healed my broken heart. You bound up my wounds. I was on a honeymoon. Which I'd hope would never change. A love relationship with you that I never, ever wanted that to change. Nothing to get in the way. He said, what's got in the way right now? I said, ministry, the lost wife, family, the whole deal. He said, let let me show you what will happen if you give your whole heart to me. Instantly, I saw a vessel appear in front of me. No taps, no cracks. I watched the liquid pour into this vessel, which I knew to be the manifest presence of God. As the liquid poured in, I watched the vessel begin to fill up. As I watched it begin to fill up, I watched it begin to overflow. The Lord then spoke this word. He said, give unto God and I'll give unto you, pressed together, shaken, and running over. I said, well, I've only heard that when they're trying to take up an offering in the church. He said, Ian, I'm more interested in who you are, because if you give your whole heart, your whole soul, your whole mind, your whole spirit to me, what will I do? I will give back a hundredfold what you need. I will literally, because God is love, and the only way you can love someone is give them your heart. Isn't this true? Where your treasure is where your heart is. I then watched the liquid literally pouring out of me. He said, rivers of living water. He said, what has it been like so far? I said, trickles. <laughs> I barely taste it as it gets sucked out of me by everyone else's needs and all the dependence. Everyone wants a bit of me. I said, isn't it selfish to literally be filled up with your presence like this? He said, Ian, you can do nothing apart from me. And then I watched it begin to, as it poured out, I saw other vessels appear all around mine. Have you seen the champagne glasses where they pour the champagne in and it keeps overflowing and filling up more and more vessels? As I watched the liquid pouring into me, as I tapped into the manifest presence of the King of Glory, who I knew as a single man who had followed him for seven years before I got married, so thank God I'd established a relationship with God and I knew what it was when he wasn't there. Many people are looking for other people to fulfill the need. They're desperately then using Christ to tap up and top up what they don't get from their own relationships. I had understood what it was to be Christ and Christ alone. He is my all-sufficiency. He is all that I need. He is the King of glory. He is the Savior of my soul. He is my Lord. I am married to Him. I and the Lord are one. I knew that experience. I knew when that would have been robbed from me that something had gone seriously wrong. Somehow I'd gone off track. As I watched it fill up, I saw the vessels and I said, God, what are they? He immediately revealed who they were. My wife. My mother. My mother-in-law. My family, the church, the lost. I then began to realize that if I could be totally and absolutely, 100% wholeheartedly devoted to him, and didn't take my heart back and give it to the ministry or to my wife or to the church. How many women can give it to their children? And when they go, part of them goes. How many know they then can be dragged into a whole mess of that marriage where they're trying to sort it out because their hearts are still on that child? I said, God, what must I do? 
He said, get your heart back. You have a divided heart. Come back to your first love. He said, when you died and stood before me, what happened, Ian? I said, I was a, out of my physical body, a spiritual being of light, and I felt your liquid light fill me up. It literally filled me up like an empty vessel. It overflowed, and when I opened my eyes, I was encased in radiance and pure light, which was love and peace and joy and comfort. He said, I had filled you with my glory, filled you with my manifest presence. He said, the inner man will be changed from glory to glory. And I said, I've got it. So I came back. I took my heart back from my wife, my heart back from my mother, from the church, from the ministry. And we know that ministry can burn you out. And we know the church can kill you. We know that other Christians can butcher you. Just a thought, isn't it? Are you alive or just the walking dead? As I stood there being filled up, my wife said, what's going on, honey? I said, I'm giving my heart back to God. And I'm taking my heart back. How would you like to be married for six months and have your husband tell you that he's taking his heart back from you? I mean, that can go over like a lead balloon. (laughs) She looked at me. She said, what? Don't you love me anymore? I said, I love you more than I've ever loved any human being. I love you. But you're going to have to cut some space so I get back in touch with the Lord. I said, I'm no use to as a husband if I'm not in connection with him. I'm absolutely going to hurt and mess you up. You've got to give me some space to get back to what I know to be the manifest presence of God who's going to love and heal me up and let's walk through this one if you can. I tried to share with her. A few weeks later, she got it. I said, what, honey? She said, I've given my heart to my mum. And I've been a Christian all my life. I've got so many spiritual mums in the church that have got my heart. She said, I am taking my heart back from you. And I said, thank God. I said, because I am not Jesus. And I'm going to mess you up, girl. You give your heart back to him. She gave her heart back to him and I felt it. She changed. She looked at me. She said, oh my gosh, I can feel your love. I felt it hit her for the first time. She looked at me, she said, I've just been filled with trust. I feel like I can trust you. I've been brought up in the church by a woman saying, don't trust men. (laughs) They're only going to hurt you. Don't trust them. She'd had that sown deeply into her spirit. And here, trust, you know how the basis of love is trust? Trust is faith. Sarah trusted God, even though her husband was going to muck up that God would actually protect her. Six months into marriage, for the first time, we became one. Most people cohabit. They agree, to dis- they agree not to touch on stuff they disagree on. They learn to live separate lives in a marriage. Don't touch this, don't speak about this, and we'll be fine. They then appease the, pa- the pain and the problems by literally other areas that will comfort those areas. They never, ever get to the place of wholehearted devotion to the Lordship of Christ. Many of them are literally joined spiritually and emotionally and soul ties to their existing mum and dad or spiritual family. To the point where Jesus said, I came to bring a sword to this world to cut between the soul and the spirit. 
Peter picked up a sword. He said, no, 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 we're not talking about a physical sword. We're talking about the sword of the Spirit. And this, you can go through all cutting soul ties, but if you don't get your heart back and give it to the Lord, that's just another process that will not work. Just becomes another religious ritual that you go through in cutting soul ties. Who has your heart? How many know that men can put it into things, into work? They become workaholics. They can put it into their car. How many know women have seen their husbands polish their car more than they've polished them? <laughs> How many know they're more interested in the engine that's under the bonnet than actually the engine of the heart of the woman and they don't even know her? How many women will wonder whether the men ever know how to talk? Well, they just have silent conversations for most of their life. I know what you said, honey, you just never opened your mouth. <laughs> Jonathan had a marriage. Trouble is he got more and more a closer friendship with uh, David and Jonathan got closer to each other than the actual marriage. And, John, and David lost his marriage. Remember that? Now, he wasn't gay, which is what a few boys try and tell us. David was as straight as a die, but he got so involved in a relationship with another man that he actually lost his marriage. The danger is that you can get so involved in a relationship with woman and woman's group or men's group that if you don't put your wife or your husband before that, you've missed it completely. And if Moses can go through a divorce and God can restore it, how many know there's hope for all of us? Who has your heart? Jesus is coming back for a holy, pure bride, one that is undefiled. It says in the book of Revelations that the church had left its first love. Isn't it? it says the kingdom of heaven, it talks about it, Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven. He said it's like a marriage, fee, a marriage isn't it, where they're invited to it. It talks about ten virgins. This is the kingdom of heaven. Prepared for what? Full of the oil of the presence of God, full of the living waters. My wife then saw siphon hoses coming into her vessel where other people were sucking off her. You ever try to suck gas out of someone's tank? Do you realize that most Christians try and suck, suck out of most ministries' tanks? They see an anointed person and then they go into spiritual idolatry and begin to suck out of that person. If you have a need for dependency and you have a need for acceptance and it's not in Christ, you will actually have people who depend upon you. You will keep them babies sucking off you. Who are we supposed to bring them to? The Heavenly Father. Who are they supposed to be adopted to? Not you. Don't you dare let another man become your spiritual dad. There's one called the Heavenly Father. It's a spirit of adoption to him. There's a lot of danger going around right now where people are saying, you give those kids to me and I'll make them my spiritual children, my sons and daughters. Don't you dare go there. It can move into deep idolatry and deep control. The whole heart of God is that you would be adopted to him. Jesus said, I, my prayer is that you would truly become one with, the, one with the Father as we are one. That your heart would be holy and absolutely brought to him. And when you've messed up in your marriage like many people have, God can do what? Heal your heart. Give your heart back to him. And when you've come to the position where you don't need to be married, that you're absolutely complete in him, that's when the chances are you will be married. Otherwise, you're rebound into the same problem that you had in the first place.
desperately looking for a human being to meet the needs of your life, desperately looking for a... I see so many young women desperately seeking a husband. You know what? They find them. Five years later, they wish they'd never found them. Sometimes it's six months after they got married, they wish they never found them. But when they're blinded by the desire that they're going to meet the needs in my heart, they're going to come and touch the loneliness, they're going to come and hold me and care for me. You'll be absolutely shattered. Great is the mystery, isn't it? Who has your heart? Where is your heart? Where have you put it? If you've left it in old lovers, guess what? Get on Facebook, you'll find them. I'll find you too. And if your heart's not dealt with that, you'll be back in that relationship when the tough takes place, the fire hits that marriage, when the persecution comes. I could have divorced my wife 10 or 15 times. But guess what? Through the testing of the fire comes out what? Pure gold. God is committed to the fact that he's married to us. How many know that he would love to divorce us sometimes? <laughs> but he's faithful even unto the end, isn't he? He even got a prophet to marry a harlot, didn't he? And have children. So the Lord himself brings his own line through a harlot. God can love the most unlovable, most messed up person and be loyal and faithful and committed. One guy said, I got the wrong person. I said, no, you didn't. I said, I believe you could marry anyone on this planet and be loving and faithful to them right to the ends of days. If you truly have the heart of God who loves all, even the most unloving, the most disgusted, the most perverted, the most seriously messed up, if you have his heart in you, you can be faithful to the end. I love my wife. We've been married 26 years. As I'm getting older in this marriage, it's getting deeper. It's like old wine. I don't even, I've got to the point now where I don't even want to be anywhere near anyone but my wife. I said, honey, you're first. How many put their children before that? My gosh, that's a real problem. When they move their heart out of their marriage into their kids, whoa, then you've got a real problem. Oh, my, that's my child, and that's your child, and they look, take after you. Then you have division going down through the family line. Then you have favoritism. Then you have all forms of evil take place where rejection and hurt and manipulation, control, hit those poor children. People say, oh, my kids are messed up. I said, well, look at your marriage. You can ask any, any Sunday school teacher, you can ask any teacher at a school what's going on in a family. You know how they'll tell you? Look at the kids. they tell you exactly what's going on. But if you think you're going to fix the kids, get yourself sorted. Anyhow, I've way beyond my time, which is normal. I believe as we've had some attack, which is beyond comprehension, but of course it's in these last days that we're in. The attack has gone against all forms of sin, adultery, immorality, drunkenness, perversion, lust, evil, beyond comprehension. But it says it'll be like the days of Lot and the days of Noah. The days of Lot in the last days were what? Sodomy, Gomorrah. The days of what? Noah, violence, filled the earth. Every man did what he wanted to do in his own heart. 
So we are having the fulfillment of Scripture of Matthew 24 taking place right in front of us. One of the sanctum out attacks the devil's doing right now is going directly against the understanding of the husband and wife, male and female, which is his heart, and that's the truth for marriage. And if you've lost your marriage, don't worry about your ministry. It means absolutely nothing. It means nothing. Chuck your ministry to one side and pursue that woman. Pursue that that man. But it says in the case of adultery, that believer has right to literally say no. You have right. God first. Marriage second. Children third. Don't you dare put them before your marriage. Church, next. Fellowship. Ministry, next. You get that order out, you can kiss a goodbye. I tell you what, you're going to get into all kinds of trouble. It's not what you do for God. You could lead thousands to the Lord. You could lead multitudes. You could part the Red Sea. You lose your marriage, you've got nothing. You've got nothing. One person said, you died. My dear sister went through divorce. She said, Ian, I died when I got, I was killed by that man. And my dear sister got saved, which was my first convert. Thank God she got remarried. Lovely man, have a child through this marriage. But get your relationship first love with him. Don't go looking for someone else. Don't even bother considering it. You're better off to stay a celibate. <laughs> stay completely clear of it. Let the healing process of God come back into your heart. Great is the mystery. And the greatest mystery in the Bible is the marriage. The two become one. If we can get that sorted, we might have a chance of bringing the fivefold together. <laughs> that the five become one. And somehow we might even have the mystery of the church becoming one. But if you manipulate your marriage, you're going to manipulate in the body of Christ. If you control and dominate your marriage, which is what Jezebel did over her husband, you're going to have the judgment and wrath of God come on you. Don't you dare start wearing the pants, girls. Be the woman God's called you to be. Let these men grow to lead and love. And wives will be able to submit to a man who loves them. The only way you can love her is to find the love of God. I'd look for love and got lust, sex, perversion, adultery. But in the presence of God, I receive pure love. We're in dire straits right now where ministry has become almost sanctum out above even the relationship with God. It's not what you do for him. Come to a place of acknowledgement of him in you. You know where the kingdom is? Within you. And you know where God's kingdom is not of this world. You think he's going to reestablish his kingdom on this earth. He's going to do that in people. And he said, you will come to me. He said, if I was of this kingdom, I would have had my angels fight. He said, but I go and prepare a place for you. If you think this earth is going to be remodeled, you don't hold your breath. God said, I've created a new heavens and a new earth. I go and prepare a place for you. This earth will be consumed with fire and pass away. Thank God he's got a whole new heaven and new earth for us. And guess what? Those, there's no marriage up there. I mean, no, that's a blessing for some of us. 
We'll be like angels. But if you love that person, how many know that's eternal love? There is a love stronger than death. There is a love that's so pure that if you genuinely love that woman, that love can only grow into eternity. It's called eternal love. God loves us with an eternal love. How much do you love God? Stop looking all around for everyone else to help you. Stop looking for the preacher or the prophet or the apostle to lay hands upon you. Let the Son of God grab hold of your heart, your broken, messed up, smashed life. Find out what's left of your heart and give it back to him. Take it back from, stop trying to save everyone. Stop trying to save all your kids and save everyone and pray for them. I've seen people lose their own family and take up other spiritual kids. Just back off. Find him. Get back to this intimacy. Are you hearing a thing I'm saying? You're like, you could almost be English. I thought you are American. Someone who says amen or hallelujah or something over here. Perhaps you're Californians. <laughs> so I'm going to do an altar call in prayer. Because I've got 000 appearing on the screen behind me. <laughs> Means I've run out of time. <laughs> this is normal for a preacher. So I'm going to invite you to pray. And to ask God to show you who or what has your heart. Only God can do that. And if you're honest you might find a shock of where it is. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, and there are people in this meeting who may never have given their heart to Jesus, and you've come along, one of the greatest mysteries is give your heart to God. In that, then Christ comes in. And he'll sort the mess out from the inside out. And that may take some time. Let me know it takes some time. So let's just pray. Father, I pray that you would touch hearts this morning and pray that you would reveal to each person the mystery of the marriage, the mystery of first love, and somehow by your spirit you begin to touch and move into the heart of hearts of each person, that they might find who and what they've given their heart to, so that they may actually give it back to you, so that they can come to a place of complete rest and acceptance in you. It is not what they do. It's not even how anointed they are, how many people have touched, that their identity and their entire rest is in you. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As the worship um, leaders come, I'm going to invite those who would like to just pray and, and seek the Lord at the altar. I'd love to open the altar up and let you, we may or may not pray for you individually, but allow the Lord to speak to you. The, the meeting is officially closed, I believe. Is that right, Pastor Phil? Pretty well? Well, it should be. <laughs> but those who would like to come and just kneel down before God. Now, don't you think this message should be for the person who I'm sitting next to. I, they need to change. Don't you dare try and change the person next to you. You get the log out of your own eye before you even consider going anywhere near sorting your husband or wife out. You get your own life sorted out. You with me? So many people hear this and say, oh, only if my wife heard this, she could be sorted. <laughs> and the wife's going, if only my husband was here to hear this, my God, this is what he needs to hear. No, no, 
Sort your own heart out. Sort your own life out. Leave them alone. You hear me? Leave them alone. Let God speak to them. Let God heal them. They may have to fall in love with you again. You may have to fall in love with them again. You might have to start again from scratch. So come if you need for prayer. If if God's spoken to you, if He somehow touched your heart of hearts, He can take a heart of stone. He can take a broken heart. He can begin to bring the mystery of oneness in the marriage back into your life. And if you're single, you should be listening to this real strong. Don't you dare give your heart to some boy. And boys, don't you dare give your heart to those girls. You keep it in the Lord. Never bring it back. You hear me? And you can love this dear woman that you'll end up marrying throughout eternity without them ever having your heart. Greatest commandment, love God with all your heart. Thank you for listening. Stand and sing with us. I'm just going to sing out this chorus. Sing, no mountain is too high. No mountain is too high. No ocean is too high. Can't stop your love. No power is too great. Because you overcame the grave.
Salter and those of you who are have really just this message has, has hit home. Just ask the Holy Spirit right now to show you a divided heart. If, and then ask God just to, to reform that heart, just to do surgery, spiritual surgery, as you let that heart just be filled up and co- totally committed to Jesus. God, these who have come here have felt especially moved to, to bow down before you, as, as many of us have, just say, God, take my heart. Take away whatever duplicity is there. And I give you everything. I give you all that I have. That we might love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. God, we, we pray now. You take us as a church, and we would be undivided in our devotion as a church, totally divided to you, Father. As individuals, we love you, and we just put you first, God, each one of us putting you first, that you might be Lord of all. He's not Lord of all. He may not be Lord at all. So examine your heart. Let it be pure before the Lord Jesus. Thank you, God, for this message, for this messenger. Thank you, God, for this church, for these people, for the way you speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just uh, have your attention for a minute as we uh, as we close. Um, thank you so much, Ian, for being here and and uh, sharing. And um, I'm going to ask Ian to go out in the front lobby, and um, he's going to be there to greet you. Uh, you may you may want to pick up a copy of. Uh, uh, the movie, The Perfect Wave, and just so you know up front, I mean, these are, they're like five or six dollars, I'm not sure what they are, and Ian doesn't receive a penny from any of the, any of this film, so it's all just for the ministry, and if you want a copy, he'll, you can get one there, and a little book, A Glimpse of Eternity, which is his story of life beyond death, and he'll be out there if you want him to sign that, and, and uh, you want to shake his hand and meet him. And then one final thing, tonight is our crusade, and we still have some of these flyers left, so we're going to give you some as you go out. You may say, I have a trunk load full I didn't get rid of. This is just to increase your level of guilt. <laughs> Amen? But try to get some of these out, hand them out to people, and, uh, and pray. Be here tonight. Bring someone with you. Jared will be speaking. It'll be a great, great night, final night of our crusade. And we're going to see people come to faith in Christ. We're going to see lives change. We're going to see people healed. And uh, one of the great testimonies that happened on Friday night, I'm just going to share this because some of you weren't here, but um, one of our guys, bulging disc in his back, he's very athletic, rides his bike a lot. He said, I'm standing there and I feel, literally feel my back correct itself. And all the pain was gone. And he stepped up on this platform. And this is not a guy that gets up and gives testimony, and he did to God's grace. So uh, just good to see God. Amen. And that's just one of many. So let me uh, let me bless you as we go tonight, today, and, and may God be with you in all that you do. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you right now. May he be gracious to you. May you feel the warmth of his countenance, the joy of his heart. May his spirit fill you, anoint you, 
And may you, with an undivided heart, love him with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all your soul, all your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you tonight, 6 o'clock for food, 7 o'clock for service.